Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good, all things considered. Good stuff. Big day, free agency day. And Bruce, the coming edition of the Edmonton Oilers are going to look significantly like the previous edition of the Edmonton Oilers, except with Jack Campbell and Ned and maybe a few other changes that have yet to come. But, uh, you know, what I'm seeing uh, on from Oilers fans and what I'm seeing my feeling myself is there's there's a sense that Ken Halton did a pretty darn good job today and um you know there was and and in retaining the team that he had which was some amount of challenge in the end um he uh he has succeeded because he's done so I think for what people see as reasonable cap hits on at least two of the three big signings today um Maybe two of the best cap hits. Like, you know, there's different for like on a Vander Kane, there's one group of people who will say that was the best deal of the day, and I might be in that group. And then people who are who like on ice stats like Corsi and Fenwick and expected goals for might point to the Kulak signing as the best signing of the day. Um that's well, I saw Evolving Wild say that. Mm-hmm. And they're kind that's of in great. that kind of evaluation. Yeah. Um, so, or one of the best signings of the day. I don't know what the best signing of the day okay. is, but but uh, no, they that's, that's what they. Hear. I think that's I mean, what they I, said. I value their evaluation. It's not going to be 100% right all the time, but uh, they told us Val Natushkin was a pretty good player, and you know what? They were right. Well, they actually said he was a better <laughs> player than Leon Draisaitl in 20. Well, they, by their metrics, that he was 2019, 20. Defensively, yeah, he, they were doing the whole shebang. Anyway, they did say he was a pretty good player, and I kind of sort of took started watching the guy at that point and going, yeah, not bad. Anyway, and and he's certainly gotten paid, has he yes. ever? Okay, so we're we're going to talk about Kane, we're going to talk about Campbell, we're going to talk about Kulak. And we'll talk about uh, Connor Brown, the possibility the Oilers will trade for Connor Brown. And um, so let's start with you, Bruce. What did, what did you think of the Kane signing? Well, in for a penny, in for a pound, I guess. I mean, I've, I've stated my opinion about the original Kane signing. And since then, we'll just talk about what he does on the ice. And what he does on the ice is a whole lot of uh, uh, different and uh, important things for the Edmonton Oilers. He's, he... Uh, he checks a lot of boxes, David, and it turns out he's going to check them for, uh, frankly, a lower cap hit than I was expecting at just over $5 million. And for a shorter term than he was uh, thought to be looking for, but they managed to uh, compromise at four years on, on term. And of course, the jury's out as to what happens in those four years. But I mean, in terms of the contract itself, and I'm looking at guys like Vincent Trocek and uh, Andrew Kopp signing for like half a million dollars more on longer term contracts and i'm thinking would i trade uh hockey trade evander kane for either of those two guys and i don't think i don't think so no way and, and he resolves a few problems through this team i mean they were uh with zach cassian traded out of ta- town and uh josh archibald's contract at an end and kane um looking to be headed for free agency that was Oilers' three most physical forwards by some measure and uh of the three kane plays the most and he rides shotgun with the stars the most i mean uh zach cassian's likelihood of being on the ice with Connor mcdavid was significantly lower than evander kane's will be and um so he, he that that was a uh, a gaping hole in the Oilers, the way they were shaping into free agency. And I know some people don't put a lot of stock in physicality, but it's been a big part of the game for as long as I've watched it, and I don't think that's about to change. You've got to have some element of it on your team, right? They don't all well, have to be big Bobby Clobber to steal one of your favorites, but you need to have maybe one or two of those sorts. I stole that from uh, Danny Finkelman. <laughs> Uh, who my parents listened to on the CBC as I was growing up. They had a guy, I think he was Joe Fan, was mm-hmm. the guy who talked about hockey, talked about Big Bobby Clubber. Yeah, Bruce, when we go down the list of deals, 
Like when I was thinking of the Kane contract, I was thinking what he when, when people are saying seven that he might get seven million dollars a year, mm-hmm. it didn't strike me as crazy talk. Like I thought, like if you have Evander Kane as a free agent right now without the baggage that Evander Kane has, Bruce, I, I do believe personally he would have gotten seven million dollars a year um, from some team just based on um, that's what he that's what he was getting paid in San Jose. Um, mm-hmm. He was the leading scorer in the playoffs. And and not only that, you know, we talked about this. Yeah, leading goal scorer. We talked about this during the playoffs. Just what 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 I referred to as the swagger coming back to the team as Evander Kane. It was palpable. It was real. You know, his his impact on Matthew Kachuk of the Flames took. I think he took him right out of the series. You know, he 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 gave Kachuk uh, way more than uh, Kachuk gave back to the Oilers. He, he, he threw him off. I think. And um, he was big against the Kings, scored all kinds of big goals in, in these series. He did wasn't particularly good against the Avs, but following up on a pretty remarkable run at the end of the regular season where he just got better and better, then having this breakout playoff campaign. Um, yeah, you do, need, you do need team toughness, people standing up for each other, people sacrificing for each other uh, on a team. And, and Kane did that. I mean, there were, how many times did we see him come to the defense of Connor McDavid or another player in the immediate scrum after something had happened? He was right in there. And, and I think this is when there's team, you know, team toughness, that's what it is. It's right in the moment, right on the ice, right in that guy's face, threatening to rip his tonsils out through his mouth, <laughs> essentially. And Evander Kane does that kind of thing. Um, and I think I think he genuinely NHL players are are tough guys. They're all tough guys. But I think he mm-hmm. genuinely intimidates other NHL hockey players yeah. with his nastiness and the 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 possibility, as we saw when he when he turfed Nazem Kadri into the boards, the possibility he's going to injure you um, in oh, in, a, in a melee. That wasn't good. It's part of his game. It was part of Mark yeah. Messier's game. That yes. threat and that fear. And to discount it and say it's not a, this is actually a big thing in hockey. <laughs> uh, no one wants to get badly injured. It's at least NHL players certainly do not. And to have that threat hanging over you when you're on the ice with someone who has that kind of X factor like Evander Kane does, I think is a it's part of what he brings to a team. So I do think he would have gotten seven million dollars a year. Uh, I don't know what the term would have been at his age. Maybe it would have been just been five years or six years. But um, I don't think. Uh, I think he would have gotten that. So what I think happened was the Ken Holland made a really good move, allowing Kane to go out and search the market because the owners were thinking, they were thinking otherwise, that that kind of money wasn't going to be there for Kane, I think. Uh, and if it was, they were going to lose him anyway. So the best way to keep him is Ken Holland said was to, to treat him fairly. Let him see what what's out there. And that gives them a better chance to know, well, if he's not coming back, we'll know earlier. And then we can maybe we'll sign David Perron, who signed for two years at four point seven five million just now. You know, it gave the orders a, a head start, but it was also fair. It treated Kane decently. And I think after the treatment, he what he you know, whatever we think of Kane, he perceives he was mistreated in Winnipeg and in San Jose and to be treated fairly in Edmonton, I think, might go some way in, in him coming back. Anyway, he went out there. Mm-hmm. And Bruce, it's my my belief, and I could be incorrect about this, but there's the, the teams he said he went to were the teams that he had approached earlier, who had shown interest in him uh, when the Oilers signed him. And I think those are the teams he had trust in. And they're also the teams that, you know, not every team with Andrew Vander Kane's baggage, not every team is going to is going to go for him. And there's mm-hmm. some places that are simply put there more woke than Edmonton, Alberta. There's the whole left coast, you know, the West Coast. They have there's they have a different ideology that predominates in those cities. I mean, Edmonton is is not exactly the conservative bastion of Alberta. It is a NDP city provincially. But there's some cities where there was going to be a lot. My point is a lot more heat if he signed there. And I think those teams weren't on the list when he was um, coming at you know 50 cents on the dollar last winter. And I don't think he, I don't think he wanted to to try out those same cities uh, again right now. And I don't th- think those same cities wanted him, so that limited his market and drove down his price. And this is why I think the owners got a a seven million dollar a year player for five point one million dollars a year. 
So great deal for the Oilers. Exact same cap hit as Nuge, eh? Except for half as long. Nuge got eight for 41 million. Kane got four for 20.5. And he's got no movement clause in there for two years and up till almost the trade deadline of the third year. And that's when it can get moved to a no trade with a 16 team list or something. So basically half the league. And that seems like a sensible clause. That's the first one I can remember where the no trade clause traded with change within the season just before the deadline. But it meant he'd be here for a better part of three years. And then if it was time to make a move for whatever reason, for player or for team, they'll, they'll have a little more flexibility and trade deadline of 2025, which is Dreisaitl's last year. So by then we should have a pretty good idea where the team is going, I'd like to think. 24-25, yeah, it's coming up. <laughs> These things happen fast. Life happens fast. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting, Bruce. The Oilers seem to have a, um, kind of a at least a three-tiered salary structure. So at the very top, you have the the three friends, the big friends mm-hmm. on the team, and the yep. three superstars. You know, some people won't consider Darnell Nurse a superstar. I actually think he is. He's or at least he's a star player. He's in the top ten NHL defensemen um, year in year out now. And the orders, as I wrote in a recent post, have gotten huge value to the tune of like 15 to, I can't remember exactly what it was, $16 million in the last, of a discount on Nurse in the last few years, I believe. Anyway, he's going to start getting paid. There's McDavid and Drysaddle. So there's these three guys. And I think it's the best strategy. Best strategy for the Oilers, if they want to have Drysaddle and McDavid re-up, they've got to keep these three guys together who are close friends and been through the wars together. And they have got to win. They, so they're, they're doing the first part when they re-upped with Nurse, giving him that big contract. Now they've got to win. They've got to mm-hmm. win. They've got to win the cup. If they don't win the cup, none of nothing else is going to really matter. The, I don't think Drysaddle and McDavid will stay in Edmonton. So so after that, then, you have the second tier, and that's the $5 million men. And this is a for good players like Hyman, Kane, and Nugent Hopkins. I think... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they were willing to go with a different term, at least. That you know, certainly Nugent Hopkins and Hyman would have got. They could be six or seven million dollar a year players right now, if they had gone with shorter term um, in other NHL cities. But they want to win as well. So they're and and Kane brought this up in his interview. He he was careful in what he said. He, he something like he didn't think he got the offers of what he deserved. So we don't really know if he turned down money, but he got less money than he thought he was, uh, that he merited. And I happen to agree with that argument. Others are free to disagree. Um, So there's this, there's this rung of players. And now Campbell, Jack Campbell has joined that. You have some at your door there, Bruce. Jack Campbell uh, has joined this. So he's another $5 million man. And, um, and below that is, uh, it's going to be pretty tough for anyone to get paid much. Uh, you know, we'll talk about the Kulak contract. I think that's going to be, you know, top endish. You know, we have Tyson Berry at four point five million dollars uh, with two years left, but um, there's not room for many f- more five million dollar men. Maybe Ooh. one more guy, maybe Evan yeah. Bouchard when his contract comes up. But th- so th- down the road, there could be problems for the Oilers with. Uh, with this kind of contract structure of the three big guys, the $5 million men. And so what happens to Kyler Yamamoto? What happens to Philip Broberry? What happens to Bouchard, Stuart Skinner? If these players turn out, it could, there could be some major suffering and pain from Oilers fans. But, you know, it's also good news if these players turn out. So, But I'm just throwing that out there because it's it's that's looming as the next crisis in uh, Oiler Town. But for today, at least, Bruce, they've built, they, they've, again, They've got to win now. They've got to start, you know, on all cylinders for the Stanley Cup. And this is the strategy to do it. And I think it's the correct strategy. And it's good to see players like Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, and Kane buying into it um, to the extent that they did. Yeah, well, Jack Campbell's in that $5 million club as well. And so that's basically three guys at $10 million, or it certainly works out to $30 million. And uh, four guys at five million, so you got fifty million dollars baked into seven guys for at least three years. Drysaddle's the first one of those guys to, to whose contract expires. 
like in the past we've always said well Koshkin's contract's going to come due or next year Keith is going to come due well all those guys now are out of the the picture Jason Barry if you want to include him his contract's only got two years to run and of course none of it's I mean somebody can be dealt out of all this but those main guys they they got a lot of no move clauses and I mean that's really the core of the team that management wants they don't want to be trading those guys they want to they want that to be their their guys and and uh, uh, for sure I mean they always had the centers three uh, since forever you know since honestly before Shirelli Shirelli came with the McDavid draft pick in his uh, jacket pocket and uh, Drysdale and Nuge already there and and they're still there uh, but the weakness remained on the wings and here in the last year with the additions of Zach Hyman and Van Der Kane. Uh, the Oilers got two big-time NHL-caliber uh, top six natural wingers to play with the centers three. Yeah, and it's going to be tough. Like Warren Fogle, like they're apparently looking at some insiders like Darren Drager saying, you know, are they looking to move Warren Fogle? Mm-hmm. He's earning $2.75 million a year. Yeah, and I think that's a real possibility that that's, you know, that's that's going to happen. So, um He's an okay yeah. player, but you can find okay players for uh, you know 1.5, right? Sure can. And you, uh, yeah, you know they're getting to that point now. I think they got about seven, seven and a half left, and they got the three restricted free agents. And mind you, if they were to sign the three restricted free agents, they pretty much have their team. So they, you know, they don't need yeah. a lot more than that. It's not like they got four or five other vacancies uh, on the on the roster. Like I, I detailed a post this morning with four openings, including the number three, number one, number three goalie. They both got signed uh, with an opening on left defense, which was Kulak. And Kane got signed while I was writing the article. <laughs> and there's basically one hole on, on uh, right wing and, uh, and two restricted free agents there. So right wing is still a puzzle, but <clears throat> uh, center and left wing positions look solid. And, uh, top six defense all of a sudden has really taken shape what do you think of the jack campbell signing bruce oh jack campbell oh you know he's got pretty good numbers it's, it's quite a interesting story such a convoluted route it took him to get to the nhl after being a number 11 overall first round draft choice back in 2010 well it wasn't until his draft plus nine season that he finally made it into the NHL, and then as a backup to Jonathan Quick, meaning he probably didn't play a whole lot uh, out there in L.A. because Quick was a real workhorse. And uh, only after he got traded to Toronto has he ever, you know, staked a claim to be a number one goalie, and he's really only done that for uh, the last year and a half. So... Uh, but last year in Toronto, he was terrific. This year in Toronto, he was he was really good early, and then he had a, a bit of a slide. But his overall numbers look solid. He's right in at 916 career save percentage, and he seems to be in that range all the time. Uh, goals against average right around 2.5. Uh, you know, be a different system, different number of shots, that kind of thing. But, uh, um, you know, he, he's top 10 in the NHL in both goals against average and save percentage uh, for out of 53 goalies that had 2,000 minutes in the NHL the last two years. Uh, so he's in the top 10 there, and he's 11th in goals saved above expected. So right in line with that, you know, that's pretty close to being a top-tier uh, goalie, or certainly within the top half of the league. <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I don't know the player that well, and goalies are... I mean, I think actually save percentage is a fairly decent way to rate a goalie. Like, uh, it's not the only thing you should look at. And there's and there's there's probably you know there's better forms of save percentage when they look look at you know really the expected goals based on the kind of shots. Now that those systems are only as good as as the tracking. Like if they're actually getting they're rating the shots correctly, as we know, like you can have one five foot shot which dribbles in on net and is an easy save, and another. Uh, five foot shot into an open net, which is going to go in 90% of the time. So depending on how you rate those same five foot shots, your expected goals either is going to be really, really excellent, or Mm -hmm. it's going to be misleading. 
And I think a lot of the publicly available numbers are, are somewhat misleading because they don't, they can't at this point, it's not possible to um, rate the shot for velocity and, and some other things. It's just not, I don't think they're done in the publicly available numbers. So, but when you look at Campbell's career, I, I noted that he's had about six, looked like six pretty solid seasons in a row, uh, maybe say for one stretch in LA that got him traded to Toronto. And um, so he's, he's, he looks like a good bet. I mean, Darcy Kemper signed for similar money, similar term and similar money, which was less than we thought he was going to get in Washington. But we don't know if Kemper was interested in coming here at all. And um, I have some reason, you know, I, I don't know who the owners would have picked Kemper or Campbell in the end if they had a, if they could just pick on the same amount of money. That's an unknown. We don't know. But it looked like the owners were bargaining in good faith uh, with Campbell, probably all good faith because it's all hell secretive of course you they weren't supposed to be bargaining at all but secretly bargaining in good faith morning, which toronto maple <laughs> secretly bargaining in good faith which the toronto maple leaf fans will be really upset about but it happens all the time in the nhl with campbell and maybe they didn't even want to go in kemper's direction in the end uh too much when he be, when when the abs kind of cut him loose because they're already working with this other guy i don't know how it went Anyway, it's 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 at the high end of what I would have hoped. Like I would have liked to see less term for Jack Campbell. You know, five million for three years, five million per season for three years would have been better. But then they wouldn't have probably wouldn't have signed here. He would have gone elsewhere to some other team. And we when we look at what uh, Billy Huso, who um, when you look at Billy Huso's career statistics, he kind of looks like Stuart Skinner might look in a year or two actually, where Stuart Skinner is going to be. Um, he, he, there's not a lot of separate, like he's a few years older than Skinner and he's had one really good, pretty good NHL season, but otherwise their careers look really similar. Huso and Skinner and Huso got a three-year deal at a $4.75 million cap hit. Um, Alexander Georgiev, who people seem really high on, um, he got a three-year deal at $3.4 million cap hit. Um, Cal Peterson, that's that was a contract signed last September, three years at five million. Uh, Merzlikens, he's a slightly different class of goalie, maybe five years at five point four million. Um, these are the recent contracts that we see, so it's kind of in line with these recent contracts. It's uh, mm -hmm. it's right there with the Merzlikens contract, um, there with the Kemper contract. So fingers crossed, Bruce. We'll see what happens with that one. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, he was um, uh, in Toronto. I mean, 9.21, 9.14, just looking at save percentages for two years. But also, uh, uh, in terms of wins and losses, 48 wins, 12 losses, eight other losses. Now, this is with Toronto, a high-scoring team. But guess what? Edmonton Oilers are going to be a high-scoring team. So you want to, you know, a goalie that can uh, keep you around in games, uh, you're going to win a lot of those games. So that that's, uh, um, that's, uh, seems to be what his track record is. And uh, uh, his team seems to come out on top a lot. And I mean, all glory to the Toronto Maple Leafs, the greatest team ever that I keep, keep reading about. Boy, there are some sour Leaf fans out there today with that second... Uh, after Hyman last year, and now, uh, now, uh, <clears throat> now the goaltender coming over here. It's uh, it's uh, uh, there's reason to be sour, but well, they gave up on Cody CC. They shouldn't have. Um, Bruce, there must be some sour Flames fans out there too. And I mean, this is this is this well, is the reality of of any NHL. You have these fantastic players. They have Johnny Gaudreau and Matt Kachuk. We in Edmonton, we have Drysaddle and McDavid. And like the point of the whole shebang is to win. So these players are going to want to stay in these markets. And Calgary failed to win. I, I wonder if the Flames would beat the Oilers if Johnny Gaudreau stays there, or if that was a foregone conclusion all along. It's hard to know. But I wonder if winning, winning. Uh, might have changed that. Of course, Johnny Gaudreau might have done more to help them win. You could come back with and argue. And, and I also wonder this, Bruce, in three or four years, is the team that signed Johnny Gaudreau going to wish that they hadn't signed him? I mean, he had like a 50-point season, I think, two years ago, uh, like 70 games and 54 points or something like that. 
in a down year. So he had a easily a you know a fantastic career season, and he's had two pretty good years in a row. But the season before that, he was not so good. So we'll see how that works out for Johnny Gaudreau. Bruce, I want to make one more point about Kane, just and I'll try to be quick here. There's some worry about this arbitration with San Jose. I'm not. I'm not worried about that. Um, this idea that he's going back to San Jose, I think, is a. It's a. Fa- it's a fan. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's like 99 percent, 99.9 percent. It wouldn't happen because San Jose has to go into this hearing arguing we did the right thing in voiding the contract. This guy was a bad actor. We did the right thing. We had every right to do that. Kane's going to go in. And, and well, previously, he might have been arguing he want, wanted that old contract reinstated. That might have been in his initial position. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine it's his position now. His position now is going to be something like, I just, I, in good faith, even though these guys shafted me in, unfairly, I went out and got, I negotiated a contract with Edmonton. I didn't sit out the season. I mitigated my losses by getting a new contract with a new team. And I played so well that it, even with this black mark scarlet letter that San Jose's put on me, I have gotten a new contract. I'm saying this is his argument, whether you believe in the truth of his argument or not, mm-hmm. it's a different question. I now have got a new contract, which pays me $5.1 million a year. And what I want is, no, I don't want to go back to San Jose anymore. I don't want that contract reinstated. I, I want um, for them to make good on the money, um, the difference between the two contracts. Like, you know, I, I've tried to do it myself with my own powers. I've been unable to do so. And I want uh, San Jose to make me whole because uh, they voided my contract incorrectly. Those would be the two arguments. Nowhere in there do I see an argument where now, like where Evander Kane ends up back in San Jose. It would be like a double whammy somehow for, for that to happen. And it's just, it's not going to happen in the real world of arbitration. And, you know, he's, so that's been raised, but I think it was raised in a different context. And the new context is, He's got a new contract and that's going to be recognized and everyone's going to move on. But he might get some money still in a settlement or from an arbitrator. Yeah, I just heard him interviewed on the Jason Berger show, this being uh, uh, before 3 p.m. on uh, Free Agent Frenzy Day, the uh, Wednesday. And uh, he was first up on the Gregor show. And uh, Jason asked him that question. Uh, and he said, there's three possible outcomes, right? You win, you lose, or you settle. And if you win, the contract gets reinstated. And, and Kane, he didn't want to really address it because it's obviously a legal matter. And it's... it's not going to give his legal but, strategy but, to Jason. Yeah. Well, if there's legal strategy. There's also legal jeopardy. You just don't talk about stuff when they're under... Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, so he said, I don't really want to say anything directly, but it's pre-, he says, not quite so clean cut as you suppose. Me, now, I took the veiled meaning to be, if he wins, there may be a range of ways that that uh, that it can be dealt with, where they pay him, plus he keeps the whole new contract that he just got from Edmonton, and maybe he even comes out ahead, you know, so. Oh, I think so. I think that's, well, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I just think this whole idea... This worry that some people have mm-hmm. that he's going to end up somehow back and San Jose be their property. And they, they, no, that's not happening. That's not going to happen. I just don't see it. Maybe I'm, you know, I'm not a lawyer. So you, mm-hmm. lawyers out there, you can you can uh, email me or get come after me on Twitter. But no one did. I've put this out there on Twitter. No one's disagreed with me. And and I because I, I think that it's just, I don't know. I just think it's a misunderstanding frankly, of the situation, or maybe the NHL was trying to spin it like this, that he could end up back in San Jose to, I don't know, threaten Kane in some way, but it's not happening. He's going to be an oiler. Yeah, yeah. I Anyway, I took what, what he said, even though he couldn't really say outright, I, I took some reassurance that that's not going to be an issue at the end of the day, and, and uh, hopefully that's the case, but it's... Uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, case. Like he's got a pretty strong case from where I said, just from from the simple fact that they suspended him for an offense that the NHL never suspended him for, even though it was reportedly his second COVID offense of the season. And when the NHL decided not to follow through with a further suspension and he signed with Edmonton, I thought, boy, I wouldn't like to be in San Jose's shoes in that uh, arbitration hearing, but. Uh, that's just a very simplified view. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the stuff that we get that, uh, you know, legalese and, and veil talk funneled through media is, you know, uh, maybe does tend to oversimplify a, a very complex situation. 
Yeah, and they're people are spinning things in different ways, like the league is, and maybe San Jose is, Everybody and Kane's camp. They all are. Everybody <laughs> does. All right, uh, Bruce, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Brett Kulak, what do you think of that mm-hmm. deal? Uh, I like it. Uh, he, I like the player. Uh, he, he definitely impressed in the chunk of the season that we saw. Uh, some would say, well, he's a third-pairing defenseman. I kind of saw it that the Oilers had one top pairing and then two secondary pairings. So 2A and 2B or 3A and 3B, however you want to cite it. But I thought Barry and uh, Kulak are kind of equivalent uh, opportunity as Keith and Bouchard. And Kulak even did have that one game where he stepped right up when Nurse was suspended into the top pairing and he handled it okay. Uh, I think he's got his limitations, but he's also really got his strengths. He's a really, uh, really mobile skater. Uh, he's very good at um, uh, breaking up rushes before they ever even get into the zone, like stopping, making stops at the at the defensive blue line. Uh, and uh, he's, you know, okay with uh, with the puck and and uh, that speed, as uh, Bill James famously said, uh, speed is so. Uh, one attribute that, that you use on both offense and defense. And that applies equally in hockey as it does in baseball. And so uh, I like the signing. And then the more I look around and see guys like Eric Goodbridson signed for four million bucks and uh, I'm thinking the Oilers got uh, Letty four times 2.75. Uh, I mean, it's a nice raise for him, about 50%. And from the Oilers' perspective, because I got a 50% retained when he came, it's uh, it's almost a $2 million raise to keep the same player on their salary cap, uh, added to $3 million raise for Evander Kane. But guess what? This is where Duncan Keith's uh, subtraction from the uh, from the salary cap uh, has made an impact and given Ken Holland a bit more flexibility to uh, keep the rest of his team. Ben Sherratt, um, there you go. 31 years old, Bruce. Not not that fast to start with, as I recall. And he yep. got a four-year deal at 4.7 million. I mean, that's the essentially the Evander Kane deal. Um, that's that's a lot of money from Detroit. You mentioned Good Branson, four years at four million dollars. Mm-hmm. There's um, who else do we have here? Ilya. Lubushishkin, Lubushishkin, mm-hmm. Lubushkin, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me, I'm not meaning Sorry. to mispronounce it, two Lubushkin. years at 2.7, two years at 2.7 million, I can't comment on that player, but I, I can't, I'd rather have Kulak at the same price than Lubushkin, I can tell you that, Lubushkin, uh, so Bruce, I just think, um, I'm okay with this, I thought Kulak was someone who came and uh, very much like Duncan Keith, got better the longer he was here, the more he played with the Oilers, the more I liked him. Um, and uh, he and Tyson Berry in the playoffs were fantastic. They were like everything you'd want from the, you know, third slash second pairing defense, maybe a little bit more uh, violent play if you're into that kind of thing. But they, they moved the puck well. They Tyson Berry played the best hockey of his career, the best two-way hockey of his career. Maybe it helped having someone so fast as Kulak to, uh, to, to work with. They were really strong. They were really good. And I look forward to seeing them together. If Kulak doesn't, in fact, move up the lineup to play with Evan Bouchard in the second pairing through the playoffs with Nurse struggling so badly, I was, I was, people will remember, I was lobbying strongly for Kulak to play in the top pairing with Cody Ceci, uh, mainly because Nurse, Nurse's injuries limited him so much. Um, I think it probably in the end would have been the right decision, although it, it, we did see him get some shifts against Nathan McKinnon and get eaten alive. But he's not the only defenseman to get eaten alive by Nathan McKinnon. So there is this possibility, I think, that Kulak is going to be able to step into the top four and perform there. Ken Holland in his press conference mentioned something that I've been talking about quite a bit. You know, I talked about it with that we've been talking about quite a bit over the years. Defensemen hit this age of 25, and we saw this with Steve Steos. Uh, we see it more recently with Cody Cece, this age 25, 26, 27. And as Ken Holland put it, they pop. They suddenly make the right reads defensively. They're not so much out of their, they're, they're in position, they're confident, they're moving the puck. They're, 
their fundamental defensive play is sound. And so this, there's this sweet spot, I think, like 26 to 32 for NHL defensemen. And Kulak's just at the start of that. And he's going to be in that sweet spot for the, this contract. And he, I see him kind of fulfilling the role, if not in the top four, Bruce, kind of what Chris Russell did four as five. the four or five, just an excellent four or five guy who can step into the top four. So mm-hmm. if Philip Broberry develops, for instance, and they put him with Bouchard eventually, you'll have Kulak then in the four or five slot. Right. To step in if someone gets injured, and I think he'll do well there. And it's he's at, he's at a cheaper price than um, Chris Russell was four million dollars a year in that role, whereas uh, Kulak is going to be two point seven five million dollars a year. So this is if he can fulfill that role and fulfill it well, and I think he can. This is a very good contract uh, for the Edmonton Oilers and for Ken Holland as well. Yeah, the funny thing is that uh, Kulak. Um, signing was announced and it kind of came out of left field during my weekly spot on TSN 1260 uh, with uh, on the Low Tide and Jameson show, Wednesday mornings, 11 o'clock, new time. And that was when I was on this morning when the Kulak deal came down. And uh, of course, we talked about it and I thought I saw him as a four or five defenseman. The Oilers had four or five defensemen, defensemen dating back to Nick Schultz who came in partway through a four-year contract in the $3.5 million range. And then they had Andrew Ference that they signed, four-year deal. Uh, Mark Fain that they signed, four-year deal. Chris Russell that they signed, four-year deal. And all of them kind of played the same role within the team, whether they were good enough or not. I mean, how good was the team? Uh, but uh, uh, I think I'd take Brett Kulak ahead of those, any of those other guys. And guess what? He's his four-year deal is below the three million dollar mark in a in a time when the cap, the overall cap is higher. So his percent of the cap is relatively low, and I'm pretty comfortable, I think, with him as a four or five, where he's filling in on the second pair and can hold his own, or he could be a really strong uh, leader of the third pair. And uh, that's a that's a good player to have. I wonder there had been talk, and I had been mentioning this that. Tyson Berry has more value in another NHL city than he does in Edmonton. That might have changed a little bit with Duncan Keith leaving because suddenly you need veteran defensemen in the NHL, yes. I think. So that equation may have changed enough that Tyson Berry won't be moved. It's funny, I, I'm just looking at Twitter to see if we're missing anything. And there's a lot of talk right now about the Nikita Zadorov contract. And if Kane hadn't signed here, I had this feeling that the orders would try to get Zadorov, who I actually kind of liked. I didn't watch him that closely. Mm-hmm. wasn't breaking down the video on Nikita Zadorov, but he, he was kind of a scary and seemed like a pretty good player for the Flames. Um, uh, and I wondered if the orders might not have been going for Zadorov. And maybe, who knows, maybe they are going to bring, still bring in another uh, left defenseman. And maybe there's still a trade out there with uh, Tyson Berry. I don't know. But I, I think that Berry's... The equation with Barry has changed with Keith uh, retiring and um, that uh, the Oilers will, will hang on to him this year, most probably. Well, I mean, they've lost uh, Keith. They've lost Chris Russell. Yeah. Uh, Tyson Barry was their third most experienced defenseman. All of a sudden, he's their most experienced defenseman. You're just going to move him along? I mean, you're going to want to at least think long and hard about it. I understand the rationale, the salary cap. Uh, that he, you know, he makes good coin. He's a power play specialist. Some people think Evan Bouchard could be just as good in the power play. Uh, last year's stats don't suggest that. But then again, Bouchard did not play on the first power play as often as Barry. Uh, but Barry's very good on the power play and better than he gets credited, I think. And uh, you want to call him a third pairing defenseman? Well, that third pairing was excellent. I mean. Kulak, in his time in Edmonton, regular season playoffs, 34 games, 13 points, plus 13. So they were outscoring, and uh, he was getting points, and you know Barry was getting points, and they were skating and moving the puck. I thought that was what kind of what people wanted. Apparently, uh, Columbus has offered Johnny Gaudreau seven years, $12 million a year. Oh, uh, wow, $12 million. Well, well, you got to spend your money somehow. They don't have a star there, so. David's still the only player there, and he's about to go into his fifth year under the 12.5. Who's that? 
Connor McDavid. It's the only one oh, that's ever yeah, got 12 okay. million. Yeah, in the whole NHL. Um, so anyway, we'll see what happens there. Bruce, let's talk about a trade that's been rumored. Connor Brown from the Ottawa Senators. Initially, people were thinking, oh, they might trade Fogel for him or they might trade Yesapuliyarvi for him. But it turns out that uh, Ottawa wants draft picks mm-hmm. for Connor Brown. Connor Brown, um, he I'll just quickly give the bio. He played for two years with Connor McDavid when Connor McDavid was 15 and 16 in the OHL, just a really young kid. Connor and Connor Brown's three years older, and he right. was the star on that team. He actually led the yes. OHL in scoring one year. And um, he he went to the Toronto Maple Leafs and then to the Senators, where he's been a decent player, a good player, good decent two-way player. His scoring is uh, kind of a, last year at least, kind of if you look at his points per sixty to even strength, it looks like kind of a mar- like a low level third line player. Um, I think he scores a little bit less than Yamamoto and Derek Ryan at, at even strength on a rate basis, and a little bit more than Cassian did and Ryan Nugent Hopkins did. It's always shocking to see Ryan Nugent Hopkins even strength scoring, which has been so weak in recent years. So um, he's he's not a great even strength scorer, but he he's good on the PK, as you have pointed out. What do you think of him as um, a possible acquisition for the Oilers? Well, I think he's a nice fit. I mean, he's a real good player. I've liked this player for a long time, Connor Brown. I even liked him when he was in Toronto. And I don't say that about every... Maple Leaf, but uh, uh, he was on that uh, uh, that very fine uh, uh, rookie group in Toronto. I'm just bringing it up now in 20, uh, 2015-16. Rookies in Toronto, William Nylander, Zach Hyman, Connor Brown, Casperi uh, Kapanen, and then, oh, wait a minute, it was the next year that... Uh, Matthews came in, and they just had this just incredible group of rookies. Matthews, Nylander, Marner, Brown, Zaitsev, Hyman, Kapanen, all rookies on the same team. So he kind of got bottom sixth out of that just because of who he was with. You know, Marner and Nylander were always going to be in the scoring lines uh, ahead of Connor Brown. And he became a very well-rounded player, David, uh, and... Uh, 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 a very uh, high, hard-working penalty killer. I looked it up this morning. In the three years he's been in Ottawa, he's had the most minutes on the PK of any forward in the league and second uh, behind only uh, noted penalty kill specialist Jay Beagle in average ice time uh, killing penalties per game over a three-year span. And so, you know, that's... Uh, that's an area the Oilers, I mean, any team's always on the lookout for an experienced, accomplished penalty killer, and, that, and uh, so he'd be a big fit there. Uh, he was, uh, uh, last year in, in Ottawa in the Canadian division, uh, he was scoring shorties, and, and uh, um, he was a big player for Ottawa. They didn't have that great of a team, but uh, he, was a, he was a key player, and he was great in the World Championships last year. When Canada won the surprise gold medal, he was on a line with Adam Henrique and Andrew Manjipani, and they just lit it up. So a very good passer, half-decent finisher. Uh, you know, like he's got a lot of game. He's got one year left at $3.6 million and then he'll be unrestricted. And I guess the question is, if Ottawa is looking to peddle him and trying to get draft picks, why on earth are they talking to the Edmonton Oilers, who seem to have traded off all of their second, third, and fourth round draft picks forever? Maybe Oilers are trying to hope, like they're still trying apparently to move Fogel and Pugliarvi, Bruce. Maybe they're hoping now to get draft picks, future draft picks for those two mm-hmm. players. I don't know. I, the Fogel contract, I think, could be hard to move um, based you know, I think he's a decent player, but I'm not sure if NHL teams that are cash strapped right now are going to be looking at $2.75 million a year for Fogel for two more years and thinking, well, we want a piece of that. I, I have my doubts. I do think still that there's a market for Yesapuli RV, that there's a lot of teams deeply, heavily invested into analytics. 
Mm -hmm. uh, highly aware of them. And Brad Holland spelled out, you know, the analytics argument in favor of Yesapuliarvi the other day, the Oilers' new assistant GM. So sure was good to hear an Oilers uh, executive type talking that uh, in those terms. I have to say, I was very encouraged. I heard Brad Holland interviewed by Bob Stoffer the other day, and I did a lot of this nodding my head while I was listening to him talk. He's certainly so, aware of these numbers, and um, I, I have a sense he knows what they mean and what they don't mean. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just don't know. There's a number of things we don't know with Pugliarvi. Again, we right. don't even have – we don't know if he what, – what his contract ask is. Right. And that could be driving the lack of demand in a trade, and it could be lack of interest from the owners. And we don't know – like, there's this, again, you know, how does he fit in with McDavid and Drysaddle? Is it true that they don't – uh, you know, don't want him on their line, as we've heard, like this has been out there. And is that in fact a fact or is it just scuttlebutt? So there's these unknown unknowables or mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to find out about mm -hmm. these things. But I, I'm hopeful that everyone has a s second look at this. You know, you're bringing back Kane. Uh, you got, you, you know, you're they're They're going to sign Yamamoto. How about yes. just one year deal on Pulley RV? See how it goes. Yes. Like. One more year, yes, man. Please. Just see see how this goes and raise uh, your value. Raise your value. And then yeah, trade for we'll Connor Brown as we'll, well. We'll move you when your value is up, as opposed to right now when it isn't up. Yeah, there's a player. There's a he's he's a good hockey player, Bruce. I think so. I I I, I hope that that's that's uh, what might Brad happen. I don't, really, so too. I don't have a strong <laughs> feeling on Connor Brown I, again. With players coming in in Edmonton where I haven't done, you know, through bitter experience where I've uh, rated players about, you know, players that I've seen a few times, a handful of times and been dead wrong about because I didn't see them enough and I didn't put in the work. So I don't do that anymore. So I can't, I'm not going to say what I, you know, except in general terms, like I can see that, you know, where he as a point scorer, we can say he's a third line guy, mm -hmm. generally speaking, Connor Brown, at least he was last year. Um, other than that, I can't give a credible view because I haven't done the video review necessary to properly relate rate this player. And I don't have someone else who's done that kind of work um, who can provide me with their stat sheet. And it was interesting when Brad Holland talked about stats, he talked about, he talked about a new role for video. This is the essence of, of the new statistical revolution in the NHL is looking in video, breaking down that video in all kinds of different ways that, that haven't been done in the past. That's what's going on behind the scenes by these NHL teams. And it's information which no one has access to unless you're buying one of the services of an NHL team or like probably the Toronto Maple Leafs doing it on your own, doing all that hard work on your own to really get a sense of players. So Holland, um, if they're after Connor Brown, I suspect they're seeing uh, that they're He's doing that player. video work. And um, Holland, uh, Brad Holland did mention that they subscribe to a, some service or another. I'm not sure if it's which one it is. Is it Sport Logique that the orders, Logic, Sport Logic or Sport Logique that the. Oh, more than one service. The I mean, have, yeah, they probably have a. He said, uh, Holland said that they, they can basically watch any professional game anywhere in the world within two hours of it being over. So we, you we, know, we, we did we some of that with Instat, and uh, they had a lot of the world. I didn't have all of it, but uh, uh, there's more than one service out there, and I would think a pro hockey team would would probably uh, have their pick. Yeah, so there's both the service for watching the games, and there's the service for people who watch the game and break down those numbers into different individual metrics that the players are involved in. Like Staffleets has been doing that for yes. almost a decade now. And um, and other companies do that work as well. All right. Uh, so uh, Connor Brown, like if they're going after him, I've got, you know, if, after what I've seen with some of the players who have come into Edmonton, like Cody Cece, I'm 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 uh, uh, open to seeing what they can come up with in this player. And, and I'm, I'm heartened that you in your viewings of him think that he's a good player. I have him in my keeper league, David. And not only did I, uh -huh. did I draft him, I protected him. So I obviously have high, high opinion of uh, of Connor Brown. I mean, he's right in the heart of his career. Twenty eight years old, four hundred and forty four games, and you know he's just a responsible two way, uh, two way forward. And uh, so, I mean, he'd be a good fit uh, on a lot of teams. 
Uh, I'm not saying I like him over Pugliari, Trey Gasset for him, but uh, uh, if they wind up with holes on right wing and Connor Brown is one of the solutions, I'm okay with that part of it at least. Uh, Johnny, they are officially out on Johnny Gaudreau. It's, it seems like two teams are still out on Johnny Gaudreau. I mean, by the time people listen to this podcast, it'll all be done with. I just wonder if the second team won't get Nazem Kadri. Like one team will get Gaudreau and the other team will get Kadri. And, I, and I'm surprised. I, I thought Calgary might be in on Kadri, and maybe they are. Yeah, like Calgary has done nada, Bruce. It's just... I'm, I'm I thought they might get Mason Marchment or like someone... I thought they'd get Kane. Consternation. I thought they'd get Patrick Kane. Lenny when I heard Goudreau was going, I thought, geez, Kane's out there allowed to talk to other teams. Calgary's going to tell him, yeah, we want you. Remember, you've beaten, beaten on us in the playoffs. But the, then when Kane came back and already signed last night, that really really was uh, a surprise. But, uh, I guess either Calgary wasn't interested or he wasn't interested in Calgary. Maybe that was the, uh, the issue. But... Uh, uh, they're, uh, you know, they're they're in trouble at the moment. I mean, they've lost Goudreau, and there's no obvious replacement. If I was them, I'd be hard on Kadri at this point. You know, if they they've got to figure it out with Matthew Kachuk, right? Too, because he's a he's a is he a UFA after next season? After next season. Uh, yeah. So they can't have what happened to Gaudreau. Like, I could see them going to win the Stanley Cup with Gaudreau and Kachuk and, mm-hmm. you know, the Lindholm and the players that they had. Mm-hmm. Minus Gaudreau, it's, that changes things. Like, and you can't then also say, well, we're just going to lose Matthew Kachuk for nothing. Oh, so no. they are in a very different... And you know what? There's, It's a tough spot. Like, a younger version of me might have gloated about the Flames being in such a tough spot. But Bruce, man, we have been here in Edmonton so many times with this kind of pain and agony, like, you know, from Gretzky to Pronger. Um, We've seen this this situation play out. It hurts. It hurts a lot. And it's a big blow to a franchise. It's hard for them to come back from. But I do note the New York Islanders lost John Tavares a few years ago and Mm -hmm. came back and had a great season. Two great seasons. So, uh, and Toronto's probably, I'm guessing, maybe thinking, hmm, maybe that co- contract with Tavares wasn't the best thing we uh, might have done with all that money. So, who knows how these things will play out. But right now, it hurts to be a Flames fan. Well, Kachuk holds the hammer to the extent that he can hold up for arbitration, get a one-year deal, and leave at the end of it, right? Which is the, sort of the Jeff Petrie scenario that we might remember in Edmonton where... Petrie held that hammer and eventually did get moved out of town. Uh, my guess is that Matthew Kachuk will sign an eight-year extension in Calgary at some point, and th- he'll be the sort of face of the team if he isn't already uh, going forward. And uh, and they'll pay him, but they're going to be able to pay him because they've got uh, all of a sudden a little more cap space than they anticipated. Does he want to go to Ottawa? Ottawa. I'd rather beat Calgary in the Battle of Alberta, and it's hard to have a Battle of Alberta in the playoffs when the Flames finish in last place in the regular season, right? So, well, I don't think that's going to happen. Like my bet is he doesn't sign in Calgary, and either he 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 either ends up in Ottawa with his brother if that's his priority, or he goes to the states. Hmm. I um, you know there was I can't like we saw um, Andrew Kopp go back to his hometown in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, we we do see these kinds of things with, with players when they have freedom, you know, to to pick um, the exact place that they want. And I could see Ottawa. Ottawa certainly got the chips to trade for Matthew Kachuk, and um, that could happen. Or so I don't. I'm not as positive as you about him ending up with the Flames, especially uh, after what's happened with Gaudreau leaving. So the Oilers signed a couple other guys. Just we can quickly center yep. uh, Greg McKeg, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a. Um, we can leave it at that. He's a guy who's I don't, played I don't 250 know NHL games for seven different teams. Every really? last one of them in the Eastern Conference. So I've seen very little of <sighs> of uh, Greg McKeg. Uh, in his career, a little bit more I can say about Calvin Pickard, who they picked up, and I think is a, a really good sort of. Main Street signing of an 
of a number three organizational goalie, which the Oilers did need. Uh, they've got, uh, you know, you need two guys at the NHL level, but you got to have a guy down in the AHL that you're comfortable calling up to play in an emergency for a week or a month. Uh, to, you know, at least fill in as a backup at the NHL level. And I would not have been comfortable with that if Ryan Fante and Olivier Rodrigue were the only guys down there in the minor leagues. Well, in Pickard, they got a guy with uh, 116, I think it is, NHL games. Uh, he's played at least one game in the bigs for eight years in a row. I mean, he's not likely to be overwhelmed by getting exposed to big league shooters. He's got a career save percentage of 903, which is uh, not good, but decent. Like he's not terrible, and I've seen him have good. I've seen him, watched him have and win good games, where you know he played strongly. He's uh, uh, he's just right for that task because he's not so good that you can't put him on waivers because someone's going to grab him the way Oilers lost Anton Forsberg. They're going to put him on waivers, and he's going to clear, and he'll be down there in Bakersfield uh, uh, until such time as something happens that they need him up here for a bit and. Uh, and uh, he'll come up and he'll be okay. Yeah, he's one of those goalies that has always been kind of like talked about as someone the Oilers might get, especially earlier in his career, like he was a possible starter, and then then you know later on as you know possible backup, and now he's here. Uh, you know, if someone had told me that Greg McKeg was an NHL player before today, I wouldn't have known that. So that's <laughs> how so much I know him. Uh, I was shocked that's... to see he was over 200 games. I'd heard the name, I just whoa, 200. <laughs> yeah. Nazim Kadri, someone's saying here he might go back to uh, Colorado. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, if they can figure out a way to make that happen still, uh, um, would not be surprised. Just the, you know, if if the money, if they can figure out a way to make the money close, Kadri might think, man, I want to, I want to get in there and win some Stanley Cups in Colorado. They kept Nikchushkin and Lakin and the two great checking left wingers, the scoring and checking left wingers that yeah. dominated for them, frankly, in the playoffs. And they kept Josh Manson. They signed him to a four-year extension of four and a half million. Yeah. And, I mean, they saved a little bit on the goaltending budget with the way they moved those guys around. But uh, uh, I'm not sure that how they could possibly have enough to pay Kadri because that's going to be a big ticket. Well, could they not trade uh, that $5 million a year defenseman? Gerard, uh, Samuel Gerard, yeah, maybe. That correct. would do it. That would do it. Yeah, they could find the money, at least in the short term, that way. If they valued Kadri over Gerard, and we don't know that they do. Maybe they you know, they won the cup without both of those players, essentially, um, to some extent. I mean, um, so, uh, but, yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll see what happens, Bruce. Ah, uh, Bruce? Should we come to the end? Is there any any other final thoughts or anything you'd like to add? Well, yeah, one thought. I, I was just recalling um, Evander Kane's conversation with Jason Greger, and then and uh, Greger asked him outright about his showdown with uh, Kachuk during the uh, uh-huh. during the Flame series, and uh, uh, Kane said something along the lines of. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter what you say to me on the ice. I've heard it before. It doesn't bother me. But when I say stuff back to you, you might not have heard that before. And maybe I got to him. Words to that effect. You'd have to listen to the archive to get the exact wording of that. But he, I think he thinks he got under Matthew Kachuk's skin a little bit. And based on what we saw of the series, it's hard to dis- disagree with that. Uh, I wonder what he said. <laughs> it's probably... We probably best that nobody knows what he said. <laughs> what he's heard, yeah. <laughs> or what yeah. he said, exactly. Yeah, he would have heard a lot, I'm sure of that. Yeah. And he gives it as good as, as he, I mean, one of the things that stands out about that player is attitude and swagger. And you may not like those things in an individual person, but I think it's a hockey team. You kind of got to have it somewhere. And uh, most successful teams have some element of that. And, uh, so, and the other thing Holland said, uh, more seriously, he said he interviewed all the players in the exit interviews. He said every last one of them said they wanted Evander Kane back as a teammate. Wow. So, yeah. 
So it's That's a complex pretty... it's a complex situation, you know. I've seen lots of pictures of him doing real good stuff with kids below the stands before games and stuff, and then you got this other stuff and you know, I don't wanna underplay that. It's important, but it's a it's uh it's a not something that's easily described in a sentence or a paragraph. You kind of need a book. Alrighty, Bruce, let's leave it there. Mm. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.